What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Russ Hodges. Anthony North is not here with me this evening. Unfortunately, there is a uh, pretty nasty storm rolling through North Texas this evening. Hopefully, everybody is safe and doing all right. I know there's some power outages, some trees down, so uh, everybody stay safe. Hopefully, the storm passes for y'all down there. Uh, fortunately, I am nice and cozy up here in the Chicagoland area, hopping on the podcast this evening, and we have a lot of things to talk about tonight, so I'll go ahead and just uh, preview the episode a little bit here. We have some TCU basketball to talk about, the Frogs picking up a pair of Big 12 wins over Texas Tech and number nine Texas. Just yesterday, a big upset for the Horn Frogs. We'll talk about the two wins and what they mean for TCU's Big 12 tournament and NCAA tournament seedings and chances and things of that nature. We'll get into some baseball content. TCU had a home series against Florida State this past weekend. They also went on the road and took on Dallas Baptist on Tuesday and snapped a five-game losing streak against the Patriots, who were 7-0 going into that game. So a really nice midweek victory for TCU. We'll talk about baseball and what's coming up for the baseball team. And then we will hit on some football items. The NFL Combine started earlier today. It's a four-day event, so TCU is going to have nine athletes competing in the Combine. We'll talk a little bit about that and some other football odds and ends items as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. We'll start off with Saturday's basketball victory against Texas Tech, TCU going on the road against a Red Raider team that has been playing some pretty dang good basketball over the last few weeks. Texas Tech trying really hard to salvage the season and scratch and claw its way into the NCAA tournament as a bubble team, but um, really a, a heartbreaking loss for Texas Tech on Saturday as TCU builds a nine-point lead after the first half and hangs on at the very end of the game. The Frogs nearly blew it, but Jacoby Coles hit a couple of huge free throws in the final seconds as he's done before this season, and TCU wins this game 83-82. to This was a really entertaining game to watch. Um, I watched bits and pieces of it. I was on the road, so I was also following on Game Tracker, but I talked to a few buddies about this game, and this was a really fun game to watch. Two teams getting up and down the floor. The Frogs did a great job taking care of the basketball in this game. They only had seven turnovers, which was a huge difference maker. Also outscored Texas Tech 18-11 to in points off turnovers. So uh, TCU taking advantage of the Texas Tech mistakes in this game, and Really a game that Texas Tech needed to win, I think, to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Um, Texas Tech plays Oklahoma State on Saturday. Stands at 16-13 and on the season at the moment. So it's looking pretty rough for the Red Raiders to make the tournament unless they really catch fire over these last two, three games um, going into the Big 12 tournament. I think Texas Tech needs to make something happen in the conference tournament or otherwise they have no chance, but a team that does have a chance obviously is TCU winning this game, improving to 19 and 10, uh, getting back to eight and eight in the big 12 conference. 
And of course, TCU now has a winning record in the conference after knocking off Texas yesterday. But let's talk a little bit more about this Texas Tech game first, because TCU moved into fifth place in the Big 12 standings. Iowa State is on a bit of a slide right now. Obviously, Caleb Grill, for those who follow college basketball, a player that's been a big part of Iowa State's success, has been dismissed from the program. So Iowa State losing a key player there, and they're on a bit of a losing skid right now. So TCU has overtaken Iowa State and is now uh, fifth in the Big 12 standings behind Kansas Kansas State, Baylor, and Texas. It's actually a three-way tie right now in the Big 12 for second between those three schools. So I don't think it's set in stone yet as to who TCU is going to face in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. But this was a really important game for TCU coming off of a home game against Kansas where TCU had an opportunity. The game was there for the taking and the Frogs just could not get it done shooting only 30% from the field. This time, though, going on the road, much better offensive performance all the way around. Mike Miles led the way with 24 points. Emmanuel Miller had a double-double with 14 points and 12 rebounds. Xavier Cork had a really interesting um, really interesting stat line in this game, and I feel like it's kind of indicative of, of how his season has gone. He had 10 points on 5 of 5 shooting, in 12 minutes, but he had no rebounds, one assist, and four fouls in those 12 minutes with no steals or blocks. So uh, kind of a a roller coaster game for for Xavier Cork as he started in place of Eddie Lampkin. Eddie Lampkin did not play in this game. Rondell Walker did not play in this game either. Uh, Both players did suit up for the Texas game, but uh, TCU going on the road, a little shorthanded, and taking down a Texas Tech team in Lubbock that really was fighting for its postseason life. So uh, TCU clinching a season sweep of the Red Raiders. If you recall, the first matchup between TCU and Texas Tech this season was also a close game. I believe TCU had to rally from a deficit in that one to, to win that one, but Anytime you can sweep Texas Tech in any major sport as a TCU fan, I think you have to feel pretty good. So uh, TCU shot 11 for 13 on free throws in this game. Didn't shoot particularly well from three-point range. They were 6 of 21, which comes out to just under 29%. But frankly, that's really where TCU has been for most of the season. We know that TCU is not a three-point shooting team, but it was really encouraging to see TCU go 11 for 13 on free throws. That's just under 85%. The free throws, we've talked about time and time again on the podcast, the free throw shooting has been an issue for TCU in several Big 12 games this year. But to go on the road and be able to close a game out in a tough environment, like I mentioned before, Jacoby Coles, TCU's best free throw shooter this year, I'm going to continue to sing Jacoby Cole's praises because he's just such a good fundamental basketball player. You see it the way that he takes care of the ball. He shoots it well. He doesn't make mistakes. He had 15 points and five rebounds off the bench in this game. 
he's almost a guaranteed 10 plus points off the bench at this point. It's been really impressive to see him continue to step up and to hit those free throws at the very end of the game. Again, TCU's best free throw shooter. He's shooting over 80% from the free throw line. Really impressive stuff from Jacoby Coles. And Mike Miles was Mike Miles in this game. Emmanuel Miller played like he should. Really physical down low, getting after the rebounds. TCU had a slight rebounding advantage in this game as well. So um, pretty well played game for, for TCU against a team that's fighting for its NCAA tournament lives. So uh, big ups to TCU for going on the road and getting this win over Texas Tech. But even bigger ups for the Frogs coming back to Schulmeyer yesterday evening against Texas, the number nine team in the country. Revenge certainly on the mind for the Frogs after they blew a 17 or 18 point lead against the Longhorns in Austin earlier this season. Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen were both really good for Texas in that game and was certainly a game that TCU could have won, but unfortunately the Frogs let that one slip through their fingertips. This time around, not so much. TCU got off to a really good start. I watched this game from start to finish. This was a really impressive defensive performance by TCU. I thought the Frogs guarded extremely well on the perimeter. I was really impressed with Damian Baugh, Chuck O'Bannon, Micah Peavy, Jacoby Coles. They were getting after guys on the on the perimeter. They were making it real difficult for Texas to get any open shots. Uh, Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen, who I mentioned were really good for Texas the last time they, pl- they played TCU. Marcus Carr was 4 of 16 from the field in this game and only had 10 points. Timmy Allen only took five shots. He was two for five and finished with six points. So those are two of their best players going for 16 points on six of 21 shooting. You'll take that to the bank all day if you're a TCU fan. So really good stuff by the Frogs defensively in this game. Also, and I have been pounding the table about this and almost to a point where it's become a joke with a couple of my buddies from, from TCU, but the Frogs dominated the glass in this game. TCU at one point was out-rebounding Texas 17-3. to The Frogs were killing the Longhorns on the boards. At one point, I think TCU had... I think TCU had the first five or six offensive rebounds in this game. It was, it was completely one-sided in terms of the rebounding. And it was coming from everybody. I know I've talked about the, the big guys for TCU, Eddie Lampkin, Xavier Cork, Emmanuel Miller, challenging them to get after the boards, especially on the offensive end, because with TCU struggling to shoot the ball from the perimeter, you can generate some extra possessions and score some more points by getting some of those offensive rebounds and creating more shot opportunities. So TCU was getting after it on the boards all game long. Um, Emmanuel Miller had another double-double in this game with 20 points and 10 rebounds. I'll talk about him uh, at a little bit more length in in a couple minutes here. But by the end of the game, TCU had out-rebounded Texas 46-27. to And TCU finished with 13 offensive rebounds. I think that may be the most that TCU has had in any game in the Big 12 this season. I could be wrong about that, but... 
13 offensive rebounds is really impressive. So really appreciative of the effort and the energy that TCU was playing with in this game. At one point led by as many as 12 points, I believe, in the first half. Score was 44 to 32 at halftime. Texas started to rally a little bit in the second half. Things were slowing down for TCU offensively. Not much fast break offense for TCU in this game. They were really having to score out of the half court. And boy, there were some bad turnovers by, by TCU in this game. They finished with 22 turnovers after having only seven against Texas Tech. So that was really discouraging. But, you know, if you watch the game, a lot of the turnovers that TCU had were really just kind of simple mistakes, self-inflicted wounds, you know, guys not being in the right spots to get the ball, uh, players not cutting to the basket when they're supposed to. It really wasn't because of Texas's ball pressure. The Longhorns weren't running any crazy full-court press or three-quarter court press. TCU was just making silly mistakes. And I think the performance of Mike Miles was pretty emblematic of that idea in this game. Mike Miles had, boy, I, I hope Mike Miles just went home and went to bed after this game because it was a, it was a rough outing for, for him. He was 0 of 8 shooting, 0 of 4 from three-point range. He finished with one point, which was on a technical free throw where he missed the first one and made the second one. Uh, he did have five rebounds. He did make a key defensive play late in the game to force a turnover out of bounds. But I think this was probably one of his worst games in a TCU uniform. He had some really silly turnovers late in the second half, a couple of offensive fouls due to charges, a really bad transition turnover where he had a two-on-one, could have passed it off for a, a layup. Instead, he throws it right to a Texas player, and they go down to get a layup on the other end. But... Even though Mike Miles struggled in this game, Damian Baugh and Emmanuel Miller went Greg Jennings mode. These two guys put TCU on their backs and carried this team in the second half. They got some good contributions from role players in the first half. TCU did. Jacoby Coles made some nice plays. Chuck O'Bannon knocked down some shots. But Damian Baugh and Emmanuel Miller played like grown men in this game. Damian Baugh finished with 24 points, nine assists, five rebounds. Emmanuel Miller, like I said, 20 points, 10 rebounds, double-double. Really, really liked what I saw in this game from these two guys, especially in the second half. They were just making good basketball plays. They were taking the ball to the rim. Emmanuel Miller was making some good plays out of the mid-range area. They weren't turning the ball over. They were getting to the free-throw line. Most importantly, they were making their free throws. Both of them were. Damian Baugh made, I want to say, uh, three or four free throws in the final minute to uh, close out, help TCU close out the game, and then took an inbounds pass in the final seconds. Looked like he almost stepped out of bounds, but he was able to pass it down the sideline, and Emmanuel Miller got the ball and slammed it home in transition to effectively seal the win as the storm chasers were present at this game. The court was rushed. The fans were excited. 75 to 73 was the final score of this one. Texas hit a three pointer at the buzzer. 
Uh, so if you took TCU minus three, you were probably raging after that, uh, ripping apart your your betting tickets. But nevertheless, it is a big win for TCU. Um, knocking off a top 10 team right before the Big 12 tournament. And some talk about where TCU could be seeded going into the NCAA tournament. This win is a big time feather in the cap. TCU now has wins over Kansas, Texas, Kansas State, Baylor, non-conference wins over Iowa, who just knocked off Indiana, by the way, and also Providence and Utah. So TCU putting together quite the resume after uh, getting Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin back from those injuries and just kind of treading water surviving the storm that was the Mike Miles injury and uh, working their way back from some of those losses to teams like Mississippi State and Oklahoma State and others. So um, looking at some other notes from this game, this was TCU's 20th win of the season. TCU is now 20-10 and 10 on the season, 9-8 and eight in the Big 12. Again, the number five seed in the conference right now going into the Big 12 tournament. TCU will have one regular season game remaining. It'll be at Oklahoma on Saturday at 2 p.m. TCU going for a Big 12 sweep of the Sooners. TCU dominated Oklahoma the last time these two teams played. And Frogs with an opportunity to go into the conference tournament with a three-game winning streak. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the... NCAA tournament coming up. So TCU is the number 22 team in the country. They're likely going to move up three or four spots, not only because they beat Texas, but also some of the teams that are right above them. Providence lost to Xavier. San Diego State lost to Boise State. Maryland lost against Ohio State. Indiana lost against Iowa. Tennessee did win its most recent game, but one of its best players suffered a torn ACL, unfortunately. So I think you're looking at TCU moving up to, you know, 19 or 18 in the next poll that's going to come out. Perhaps even a spot higher if they beat Oklahoma on Saturday. But as far as where TCU may be seeded for the NCAA tournament, I'm, my, my, observation here is pretty conservative and I think there may be folks that disagree with me. Uh, I had a little bit of a friendly debate about this with one of my buddies uh, yesterday evening. We were talking about seeding and where TCU stands right now. I think if TCU beats Oklahoma, especially with this Texas win, if TCU lost to Texas, I think it would be different. But after getting this win over Texas, and beating Texas Tech on the road, I think if TCU beats Oklahoma on Saturday, they will have effectively clinched at least a five seed in the tournament. If they lose to Oklahoma and lose in the first round of the Big 12 tournament, I think it's kind of a toss-up as to whether they're a five or a six seed. That's just my opinion. Again, y'all may feel free to disagree. I will admit that I'm not super in tune to how Joe Lenardi and those guys do the seeding for the tournament and the metrics that go into it. I know Ken Palm and strength of schedule and, and some of that stuff, but just based off of my general observations, I feel that if TCU beats Oklahoma, 
they will be in a pretty safe uh, pretty safe position to land a five seed for March Madness. However, there is an opportunity, I think, for TCU to potentially even be a four seed in this tournament, which is crazy to think about considering where we were just a few weeks ago with uh, with TCU going down against Mississippi State and the Mike Miles injury and Eddie Lampkin's ankle injury, the struggles that TCU had, um, some of the opportunities that have kind of slipped through their fingers this year. Again, the Kansas game, the Texas game earlier this year. But nevertheless, TCU is looking at potentially uh, being 21-10 and 10 going into the Big 12 tournament. You're going to get a, a top-ranked team in the first round of the tournament. It could be Texas. It could be Baylor. It could be Kansas State. You win that game on top of beating Oklahoma – you're starting to make the case potentially for being a four seed. And I feel like a team with 10 losses being seated that high is kind of rare, not so much for a five or six seed, but for a four seed, I feel like that's kind of rare. But again, the resume TCU has some big time wins on its resume and the strength of schedule playing in the big 12, the toughest basketball conference in college basketball, that doesn't lie. So the, the Frogs are at full health. They have all their guys right now. And I don't think any sort of run in the conference tournament is guaranteed, but you have to believe that if TCU can take care of business in Norman on Saturday and then win one, possibly even two games in the Big 12 tournament, TCU could potentially have a case for being a four seed, which would be super exciting as a Frog fan. I'm hoping that it happens. I'm trying to temper my expectations and be cautiously optimistic. Beating Oklahoma on Saturdays, the biggest priority right now. But it's it's hard not to get excited about the prospects of uh, where this team could be seated going into the NCAA tournament. So uh, if you all have been following, Anthony North has been doing some March Madness-themed articles on our website, frogsofwar.com. If you haven't been following along there, please go online, frogsofwar.com, and check out his work. He's done an awesome job uh, tracking the madness and keeping tabs on the frogs and where they stand compared to the rest of the field. So some exciting things coming for TCU basketball, and with that, we'll go ahead and shift gears here because we have a lot more to talk about still. Let's get into some baseball stuff because – Um, TCU has played four games since the last time we were on the podcast. We'll go ahead and talk about the home series against Florida State that took place at Lupton this past weekend. This was the first home series for TCU. Uh, Home opener was the midweek last week against UT Arlington. TCU won that game 7-3. Rematch with Florida State. Last year, Florida State took two games over TCU, and then the third game was canceled, I believe, due to weather. So TCU hosting Florida State. Unfortunately, the result was not much better. The Frogs did salvage the series with a 3-2 win on Sunday, but losing 10-1 on Friday in the opener and losing 10-8, in the mid cap on Saturday. So TCU going one and two against the Seminoles over the weekend. There were some positives to highlight though. 
Uh, Ryan Vanderhey, the Kansas transfer, looked really good for his second straight start. He threw over five innings on Friday, struck out nine batters, only gave up two runs. Uh, unfortunately, the bullpen really uh, blew this game open for the Frogs. Justin Hackett, the freshman, Mason Speaker, and Calvin Marley were the three pitchers who came on in relief and combined to give up eight runs over the last few innings. So uh, not a good effort from the bullpen in the Friday opener for TCU, but uh, a good start for Ryan Vanderhey. And I think you have to be really encouraged with how he's pitched given where TCU's pitching staff is right now. And um, he's a guy that's going to have to pitch a lot of innings and pitch well for TCU to have a chance to be competitive in the Big 12 and, and in the postseason. So really happy to see Ryan Vanderhey get off to a really good start, two consecutive outings with really good stuff. So uh, props to him there. The Saturday loss, 10-8. to 8. Luke Savage actually started this game. Um, Cam Brown was the Saturday starter last weekend at the college baseball showdown at Globe Life in Arlington. This time it was Luke Savage, and he struggled in this game. I believe he threw just over four innings, gave up four runs, only had one strikeout, two walks. Uh, veteran pitchers in general are off to a bit of a rocky start for, for TCU right now. Garrett Wright has only pitched once against Missouri, and he didn't look very good in that game. River Ridings has only had a couple of outings, and he's his appearances have been very brief. And and Luke Savage struggling a little bit on, on Saturday. Mason Speaker, I know he's a, a veteran guy, a former position player, actually. Now he's a, a pitcher, and he's, uh, he's not off to a very good start either. So the, the veterans are struggling a little bit for – TC right now, but the good news is the freshmen are balling. The freshmen have come to play for the Frogs. Anthony Silva is off to a tremendous start. He got a hit in every game over the weekend, had a couple of multi-hit games as well, and extended his hitting streak against Dallas Baptist on Tuesday. He has an eight-game hitting streak to start the season and has made some really nice defensive plays at shortstop. So, uh, props to Anthony Silva. I know he's a guy who came in and, and was talked about for having a really good glove, but has made some really good first impressions at the plate and I think is probably a candidate to move up in the batting order right now. I know he's hitting ninth. I think Kirk Sarlus probably wants to protect him down there, but he's made some really nice plays and if if he's going to continue to hit like this, I think you got to give him a, a little bit of a bump in the lineup. So really happy to see that from the freshman shortstop. Elijah Nunez did not play in the series. I think his presence was sorely missed at the top of the order. Uh, he took a, a pitch to the helmet during that college baseball showdown series and went into concussion protocol. He did not play at all over the weekend. He did play in the Tuesday midweek game against Dallas Baptist, which was a good thing to see, but um, Nunez did not play against Florida state and uh, the offense definitely could have used him because it was a, a bit of a struggle for the, the TCU offense over the weekend, especially because uh, teams right now are kind of afraid of pitching to Braden Taylor. 
and it makes sense. He's a preseason All-American. I think he's one of the best pure hitters in all of college baseball right now. He's walking like crazy, and the reason he's walking like crazy is teams are not giving him competitive at-bats. I think it's – you look at the the game-by-game the game box scores, and every TCU player is getting – three, four, five at-bats, except for Braden Taylor, who's getting two at-bats because he's getting two or three free passes pretty much every single game. Teams are not giving him pitches to hit. They are pitching around him. And it could be good for the offense, to be honest, if Braden Taylor is going to be getting free passes to first base. But it is going to create opportunities for some of these guys hitting behind him Guys like Trey Richardson, Curtis Byrne, um, David Bishop, those are the guys that are going to have to deliver with runners in scoring position if that's how teams are going to pitch to Braden Taylor. And I have confidence that those three guys can can get the job done. And, and I'll talk about Trey Richardson in a little bit, but um, pitch to Braden Taylor. Come on, g- give, give the kid an opportunity to hit. He, he's a big-time hitter. And TCU fans, we love to see him go yard. He's already gone yard a couple of times this season. So, um, you know, overall a mixed bag from the Florida State series. You hate to give up two out of three at home, but if it's worth anything, Florida State was 4-0 coming in. So we move on. And we move on to the Tuesday game against Dallas Baptist. And this was a bigger game, I think, than people may believe because Dallas Baptist is a legitimately good baseball program. And we know this because they have been sending us home in the NCAA tournament uh, in recent seasons. So uh, TCU came in with a five-game losing streak against Dallas Baptist, but that is no more. TCU wins this game 4-1, to one. In 12 innings, yes, they played 12 innings in Dallas. And the Frogs, despite leaving, I believe, 11 runners on base in this game, they had so many opportunities to possibly break it open. But uh, give credit to the Patriots. They were able to get guys out when they had to. But TC winning this game 4-1. to one. Dallas Baptist took a 1-0 lead early in the game on a, uh, a fielder's choice that could have realistically been an error, but um, Braden Sloan and Luis Rodriguez, the two freshman pitchers, were outstanding in this game. Combined to throw almost 10 innings, the only run they gave up was that run on the fielder's choice grounder. Braden Sloan, this was his second consecutive midweek start. Both times he's gone over five innings, I believe, or just about five innings. And he's looked really good. Combining that with Luis Rodriguez, who has looked super, super solid. I don't think enough could be said right now about how well these freshmen are playing. Not just the guys at the plate, guys like uh, Anthony Silva and Carson Bowen, but Braden Sloan, Luis Rodriguez, Cole Klecker. These freshmen are coming in and they're pitching at a high level right away. And, And to be honest, they're outperforming some of these veteran guys that we felt were going to come in and and take on some pretty large roles, especially at the back end of the bullpen. So um, again, 
props to the freshmen. These kids are coming in. They're attacking hitters. They have great stuff. And it's really exciting to see not only right now, but for the future of the program to see these young arms come in and, and pitch and play well and play well right away. So just kind of going through this game here, uh, TCU tied the game at one in, I believe the, the fifth inning. And then it was scoreless up until the top of the 12th inning, Carson Bowen, again, a freshman, he's been drawing starts at catcher recently with Curtis Byrne as the DH Carson Bowen leads off the 12th with a double and then um, a bunt play where Anthony Silva comes up and hits a he puts a beautiful bunt down the first baseline. And the Dallas Baptist pitcher tries to sprint up and grab the ball. He stumbles over his feet. And to make matters worse, he just throws the ball away. Um, tries, to make the, tries to make the throw. I don't know if he would have gotten Silva anyway. It was a really awkward-looking play, but it was a, a really bad error to make in that situation. Uh, Carson Bowen winds up scoring on the play. TCU goes up 2-1. to one. A few batters later, Trey Richardson comes up. Two outs, hits a two-run single through the left side of the infield. He's off to a phenomenal start as well. Trey Richardson is another guy like Anthony Silva who is making the case to be hitting a little bit higher up in the order. A guy that I, I would honestly feel comfortable hitting Trey Richardson probably fifth, maybe even fourth. I'd like your number four hitter to have a little bit more power, but Trey Richardson is hitting well over 300. He's hitting for extra bases. He's driving in runs, and he's certainly a guy that can protect some of those power hitters in the middle of the order. So uh, Trey Richardson delivered a, a key hit. The two-run single made it 4-1. to one. Cohen Fieser came in and got the last three outs for TCU, recorded the save. He has not given up a run in, I believe, six innings pitched now. He threw two and two-thirds in the uh, in one of the games against Florida State. He threw two and two-thirds and didn't give up any runs either. So uh, Cohen Fieser is a guy I've talked about before, sophomore pitcher. Looked pretty good in limited innings last year, but has been lights out for TCU. And if he continues to pitch the way that he's pitched so far, I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up being TCU's closer uh, going into the Big 12 schedule, especially if Garrett Wright and River Ridings continue to struggle the way they have. So uh, I, I think Kirk Sarloose in some ways is still trying to figure out what he has in, in the starting rotation. I think the only... Uh, two guys who are really guaranteed starting uh, weekend starting roles are Ryan Vanderhey and Cam Brown. And Cam Brown, I didn't talk about it before, but Cam Brown pitched well against Florida State in addition to Ryan Vanderhey. Cam Brown had nine strikeouts in, in five innings, I believe, no earned runs. He did have five walks, but didn't give up an earned run. Errors were really what hurt TCU in that game, but... Outside of Ryan Vanderhey and Cam Brown, I think Kirk Sarlis is still trying to figure out, you know, who's who can be our third weekend starter. Braden Sloan, like I said, he seems to have secured that midweek starting position. So uh, Sam Staudenborough, the Cal transfer, he didn't pitch over the weekend. 
Hunter Hodges, the UNC Wilmington transfer, he hasn't pitched at all this year. I was told that both of those guys might be dealing with some injuries right now. So not sure if, uh, if those guys will be back anytime soon. But in the meantime, again, the freshmen are going to have to pitch, and they're going to have to pitch well for this team to have a chance to be competitive. Still a long ways to go before we get into the Big 12 schedule, but have to be happy with a win over Dallas Baptist, and uh, TCU will be coming up here with another weekend set. TCU now 5-3 and three on the season. They will be going to Houston this weekend. I was just pulling it up on my computer. They are having a three-game set with Michigan, Louisville, and Rice. And I believe this is the Shriners Hospitals for Children uh, series that they do every year at Minute Maid Park. TCU will play Michigan Friday, which is tomorrow at 3 p.m., Louisville on Saturday at 3 p.m., and then Sunday against Rice at 3 p.m. So... Follow the Frogs this weekend. Um, another big non-conference series in an MLB ballpark. So hopefully the Frogs bring home a couple more wins uh, before returning home for another midweek game against UT Arlington uh, next Tuesday at 6 p.m. So I think that'll pretty much cover everything baseball-related. And we're just about at the 40-minute mark here on this podcast. So... Let's close out with some football stuff. Um, The NFL Combine. Players have been doing interviews throughout the week, but today was the first day of competitive Combine stuff. The 40-yard dash, the vertical, the broad jump, the bench press, all that exciting stuff. Today was the linebackers and the defensive linemen, so Dylan Horton and D. Winters both participated today. D Winters ran an official 449 in the 40 yard dash. Both players looked like they were moving really well and really happy to see that for for D Winters running a 449. One of the smaller linebackers I'd say in this in this draft class, 5'11, 227, but as we saw this year, he can get after the quarterback. He he led, I think he was second on the team in sacks this year, Dylan Horton had 10 sacks. I think D. Winters had eight and a half, if I remember correctly. But um, both guys perform really well today. Tomorrow is going to be the defensive backs. So that means Travis Hodges Tomlinson will be out there. Saturday will be the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the tight ends. That'll be Darius Davis, Max Duggan, and Quentin Johnston. The surefire first-round pick, Quentin Johnston, really excited to see what he does on Saturday. And then they'll close it out on Sunday with the running backs and offensive linemen. So that'll be Kendra Miller, Alana Lee, and Steve Avila competing on Sunday. So uh, today and tomorrow, the broadcasts start at 2 p.m. on NFL Network. Saturday, Sunday, they start at noon They may also be live-streamed on NFL.com. I'm not sure. You'll have to check for yourselves, but they will be broadcasted on NFL Network. So anybody looking for something to do during the day, load up NFL Network and check out the Frogs as they work out at the NFL Combine. We'll be following up with some content on frogsofwar.com, sharing some video, some media interview clips, and whatever we can to uh, let you all know how they did at the Combine. So. 
Once the combine's over with, uh, as we get closer to the NFL draft, again, TCU has had several players declare for the draft. I want to say about a dozen. Um, Amari DiMercato and Lowell Ugwak, I think, were the only two players who formally declared for the draft from TCU but did not get a combine invite. I'm sure they'll be competing at the TCU Pro Day along with the rest of the guys. I believe TCU's Pro Day is on March 30th. I believe. Don't quote me on that. But there will be a pro day for sure at TCU sometime between now and the NFL draft. So um, this combine won't be the last time we see some of these frogs compete before they get into their into their professional careers. So really exciting stuff. I always enjoy watching the combine and, and seeing some of these guys. It's an opportunity to, opportunity to raise your draft stock opportunity to make some money if you're well prepared so i'm sure all these tcu guys are going to be well prepared and they're going to do a really great job so uh, continue to follow along with us at frogs of war we're going to be bringing you more combine stuff a couple other little football news items to hit here uh joquarius spivey tight end who entered the transfer portal last month has announced his commitment to Mississippi State, which is actually where he began his career. He played at Mississippi State for three seasons before transferring to TCU, where he played one season under Gary Patterson. He had, I think, about 130 receiving yards and a touchdown this year. Was uh, was kind of that hybrid wide receiver, tight end, Y-slot receiver for the Frogs this season, but is a, a redshirt senior. He's got one year of eligibility left. And I think with Jared Wiley coming back and a bunch of guys at wide receiver who need to get some, some work, not sure if the playing time was, was really going to be there for Joe Quarius Spivey this coming season. So uh, best of luck to him moving forward. I hope he has a great year with Mississippi state and, uh, Hopefully he makes the most of his sixth year and uh, can raise that stock going into the into the 2024 NFL draft. So uh, just a quick news item there. And then also, and this is fairly new reporting that was published, I think, a few hours ago by uh, Horns247. Uh, Gary Patterson is stepping away as the special assistant to Texas. He... Uh, reportedly wants to spend more time with his, with his family. Can't blame him. The man is in his mid-60s. I'm sure he's got some country records dialed up, ready to go. But uh, not going to lie, it's going to be pretty nice not seeing Gary Patterson in the burnt orange and white uh, this coming season. So just something I wanted to hit on. Um, not sure if this is the last we've seen from Gary Patterson as a coach. He has talked about how he wants to give back more to the game. Uh, not sure if that means maybe pursuing a uh, a broadcasting career. I think he would be a phenomenal color commentator or, or, or analyst, college analyst. I think he would do a phenomenal job with that. Uh, a few years ago, he was on the the broadcast, I believe, for the national championship. He was on it for a couple of years, talking football, talking X's and O's, and was was really cool to watch. He, I think he got more into the X's and O's than some of these other coaches who have been around for just as long or nearly just as long as he has. So 
again, not sure if it's the last we've seen of Gary Patterson as a coach. I'm sure he's going to pop up again somewhere, but he's he's leaving Texas. He's leaving Austin. He's not going to be wearing the burnt orange anymore. So I'm sure TCU fans deep down got to be a little bit pleased about that. So with that, I think I will go ahead and uh, bow out of the podcast here this evening. Thank you all again for listening. Um, hopefully we'll be back to, to full strength again next week. I, I apologize. I know it seems like the last month or so has been kind of a, uh, a hodgepodge of, you know, one guy's on the other guy's off and, um, we've had some, some illnesses and some other unfortunate circumstances. So we're still going to be uploading the podcast every week and getting you guys everything you need to know about what's happening in TCU athletics. So, um, appreciate all the support. Continue to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, again, online at frogsofwar.com. Check out the podcast on Spotify. We also post it to our website, frogsofwar.com. Um, comment, share, subscribe, uh, interact with us. We want to hear your thoughts. We really appreciate all your support. So, uh, means a lot to us and, and all the, writers that we have here on staff that have been doing a, a really tremendous job throughout the spring season covering all the bases with baseball and basketball and tennis and everything else that's happening in Frogland. A lot of positive things going on, uh, more than I can even fit into this podcast this evening, but uh, we'll be back with another packed episode next week. So until then, I'm Russ Hodges. I'm going to sign off. Go Frogs.